0: Happy to be joined today on the 5 Tool Podcast by uh, two big-time guests, uh, First University of Texas head coach David Pierce and uh, Alan Jager, founder of Jaeger Sports, uh, one of the foremost experts on uh, pretty much just the baseball game in general. But uh, I know today we're going to spend a lot of time talking about just throwing and, and getting back to the, the basis of throwing. And guys, David Allen, you two, I believe talked last night over the phone. I mean, just talking through topics and things like that. And, you know, we, we kind of before we started recording just helped you know, heard the passion about um, or this is kind of resonating from and getting back to throwing and things like that. So, um, first off, thanks for joining us. And secondly, you um, Kind of share the, the thought process behind one to kind of hop on here and, and talk through really just kind of getting back to focusing on on throwing again and the importance of that.
1: Yeah, I think I'll start on that, Alan. You know, I kind of shifted gears. I was a head coach. I have been a head coach for quite a few years now, but I was also the pitching coach um, at Rice University from 06 up until really my first two years here in 18 and um, it was good. But as I migrated back into head coach slash pitching coach is when I reached back out to Alan and just said, Hey, I want to validate some things that I believe in. And Alan and I go back early 2000. So uh, just watching his career and how well he's done, but also, you know, using him as a resource and using him as a somewhat of a foundation from afar, but then kind of rekindling that. And, in our, both our passions came back out of, you know, what are we missing? I think more than ever before, um, we're just not throwing enough and we're not throwing at the correct times and timing. And uh, I think it's just a critical time to discuss it going into uh, the back end of the summer, early fall. And, um, you know, with one of the best that understands it better than anybody.
2: Well, first of all, thanks, David, and it's great to be on here with you guys. It's great to be on here with David. David and I have had a number of talks in the last couple of weeks, and uh, I think he put it best. We just both share a passion um, for throwing and, and athleticism and feel, and we both know there's a there's a time and a place for you know all these other supplemental. Uh, ways to prepare the arm, and, 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 and it's great that we have these uh, resources, but I think the thing that he and I keep coming back to, and I know it's a thing that at Jaeger Sports we talk about all the time, um, you know, our, our video, is funny, Drew, I think you mentioned it off camera here, uh, Thrive on Throwing, I mean, think about those, you know, it's funny we came up with that title, I, I actually love that title of that video, that came out in 2000, 23 years ago, Thrive, Thrive on Throwing. I mean, it doesn't get much simpler than that. And granted, that was before a lot of these newer tools were coming out. But uh, in a nutshell, I'm I'm with David in the sense that we just both, we have such a passion for arm development, arm care, throwing. But I think also how that pertains to really tuning into the athlete. And and I would actually say tuning into more of the intuitive part um, uh, of the person. Yeah, you know,
3: something that we talked about is there's, Seems to be like you mentioned, there's, there's a lot of gadgets, a lot of programs out there. Um, you know, and I think what you've been touching on is really important The the, just the importance mm-hmm. of throwing and what that looks like, you know, in a couple of different phases, you know, it's a, it's a year round calendar. Um, and from our end, what the tough thing to navigate when we're doing planning events and tournaments and, and all that is, you know, I think you've seen an uptick of stuff that's available for guys to do in the fall and early winter. And, you know, there's, there's a lot of question out there, especially from the people that we're around, like what, uh, from a schedule standpoint, what makes sense? You know, like what, what is, what should a fall look like for a high school kid or a college kid? And, you know, I think that's something that the people that listen to this will be super interested in. And, you know, I know you've put together numerous amounts of programs and, and different protocols for guys at different stages, whether it's, you know, the guys coming off rehab guys, you know, in high school that are on a year long cycle and then getting as granular as relief pitchers versus starters. Um, so just, just talk a little bit about that, you know, and, and how you view the schedule. Um, you know, cause like Dustin mentioned, it's, it's a crucial part of the of the calendar whether people know it or not you know in that being in that transition phase from the end of summer going into the fall
2: yeah i would say that it's a great question actually um i kind of look at it like these waves <clears throat> you know i grew up in la <clears throat> grew up going to the beach did a lot of body surfing i i i feel very connected to the ocean very connected to waves and um and we all know there's a lot of power behind nature there's a lot of power behind the wave And so if you really just started from scratch, you would say there's probably a four to five week period and throwing, by the way, six, at least six times a week. So let's get that out there out front talking about throwing today. Um, But there's a four to five week buildup, uh, mainly for older kids, you know, high school and maybe not as much for the younger kids. So if you just start from the premise that you need four to five weeks just to get your arm into great shape, forget about penning and all that stuff. Well, then, you know, you have that period. And then, then you have an integration of what we call more higher intent throwing. We call them pull downs. You know, that might start happening every other day. Um, but l- let's just call that getting into optimal shape, you know, six weeks. You now then you have three weeks of integrating mound work, let's say twice a week, penning. Um, so that's now you're at nine weeks. And then you can start your live stuff. You know, that's ten week, week 10 or let's say 15, 20 pitches in the live outing. So you're at 10 weeks just to get to that first live inning or you know, 15 to 20 pitches. Right. The reason why I'm doing this is I love to reverse engineer everything. Anytime someone comes to us and says, hey, you know, I want to be at this point on this date, I'm like, well, as long as we know the target date, we can reverse engineer it. Now we need to figure out what did you do the last week, month, three months, six months, nine months, right? So I'd say in a nutshell, um, the main thing is that you have to be always cognizant that there is a buildup period. Um, Now it's based on where you've come from again, Um, but you have to know it's a buildup period. And then you have to know that prior to the buildup period, you need to have come probably out of a rest period. And as David said earlier, an active rest period. Um, So in our manual, in a nutshell, we just just sort of walk you through all these different phases so that you're highly aware of what it looks like. And then as you guys know, we all know this, well, that's a perfect scenario where, where we're starting from scratch. We know where we're at. We can build it up because we all know there's tons of variables <laughs> like kids coming out of the summer right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I would just say that you have to just a really know where the player is at, what they've done the last few months and where they want to be. But to just know, generally speaking, you really need a very thorough build up prior to getting on the mound as a rule of thumb.
1: Yeah, I think that's excellent, Alan. When I look at and listen to you, we also think about, you know, professional baseball is becoming much more of a year-round training and and different than as before. You should go play seven months, four months is kind of a uh, – we take off, you know, active rest, you do other things, and then you start your ramp up or your build up and your timing to go into spring training. Now guys are reporting ready to go. And I think that's what's interesting for us is the cycle and how we handle the cycle of the wind, the frequency, the volume, um, really just the timing to start everything. And I find it interesting because I'll talk to recruits and it'll be in maybe late July or, you know, a couple of weeks ago and you say, how are, you, how, how are you right now? You know, what are, what, what are you doing, what you're throwing and, I get all kinds of answers. I mean, from full-fledged bullpens to rest to just there's no consistency. And I think more than anything for me is to get consistency back in our program where they feel exactly when we report where they should be into our buildup. I like the term reverse engineering. I kind of think about if you're playing for – you know, an opportunity to play in Omaha. So you look at Omaha and you work back. So it's the same sequence. So when you look at that, you go, all right, what's what's the goal here for the fall? If I'm going to compete, how do I work my my build up around it? If I've competed and thrown, you know, a hundred plus innings spring and summer, now I have a little more rest period. What does the fall look like? Uh, and then what does the winner back into your buildup look like? And I think educating young high school and, and even college kids uh, to a point of knowing their sequence and knowing their cycle is really going to help them create a better routine.
0: Yeah. yeah. And, and, you know, one thing I've wondered with, with pitching is I've always kind of in my head, I'm like, how do players know what the, what they should be doing at different times of the year? Like, and, uh, you know, Alan, what you're referring to, like, you've actually written, you know, the manual for this, the, the year round throwing manual, like, and it's, it's not just like a couple months, you should be doing this. It's like down to like the point of the calendar. It's like, hey, if you're doing something in December, here's where you should be that sort of thing. Because like, I might have like, man, like people just kind of go out and they start doing things, but there's not really, you know, any sort of guideline as to where you should be at that point in the year. So you've actually written the manual for this. And for both of you guys, you know, this time that you're being so critical, like how important is it to, to know where you are, know where your body is and approach it the right way? Because and David, I'm sure you've seen this sometimes in your program, if guys don't stick to what they should be doing, you can do more harm than good. And then the spring goes around. You're kind of wondering, well, why aren't, why aren't I doing this or why aren't I performing? Like I thought I should.
2: Well, a couple things. One is, um, it goes back to have it, knowing where the players are at. I, when every kid comes back, I know David was just talking about doing his recon. You know, if I'm a coach, high school or college, the first thing I'm doing is I have to do deep recon on what the players have done, not only in the summer, but going back to the spring if they weren't in our program. Like like David mentioned the word, the term 100, 100 innings. You know, like you have to know, like I said, to to really get a feel for not only where you're at, but where you're going, is you have to know where you've come from, of course. So I think the first thing you have to do is great recon on every player for every pitcher, for sure. You have to know where the pitchers are at uh, for, for more obvious reasons than position players. It's good to know where the position players are at, too. And then once you understand that, you can build something around it. And I'm going to use a really good example David touched on. I've talked to co- college coaches. Um, who have had pitchers with a heavy fall, well, a normal fall, winter, heavy spring, heavy summer, right? Maybe like Team USA where they're traveling into Europe. I mean, like really deep into the summer. And I've pretty much convinced them because of a, we have a pro manual too. And the pro manual is beautiful because of something David said. More organizations now when the season's over, these guys might take a week or two off and they may not do a whole lot of anything, but they might throw 60 feet three days a week, right? I mean, they may do some light things for a month or two, but they're moving the body, as David said, moving the arm. So I've had scenarios just to kind of give you one example uh, of, your, of your, you know, your great question, which is I've had coaches say basically, look, I'm, let's treat this like a pitcher getting ready for spring training February 15th or March 1st, right? meaning let him when he gets back from that long summer let's call it september 1st we're immediately going into what's called the deload for two or three weeks where he's just sort of backing down then he might go into a month of rest or whatever it is where it still might be you know bands and some light stuff but then he's going to go into about another month of active rest which is a lot of bands maybe some light throwing and here's the point that pitcher's not pitching in the fall right he's He's just doing this wave back to the wave. He's just doing this long wave of, of deloading, resting, active resting, and then building up slowly. I call it a slow burn from our pro manual because we have a lot more time before spring training. But essentially, what I'm saying is, in college, let's say that, let's say David's first game this year is February 15th or so. Well, all of a sudden now, here we talk about reverse engineering and target date. Well, if I know February 15th is, is the start date for my pitcher that just had a really long run through September 1st, I'm trusting the fact that as much as I want him to throw, he could still do some competitive stuff probably around November, December, what, however it works out. It's, it's, it's in there, or January even. But I just want this slow wave to build for February 15th because he's tired. He's had a lot to do, and I don't need to rush him into fall balls as important as it is to get him some innings and evaluate him. I have to trust the fact that it's way more important to let them rest, let them recover, let them rebuild and just really set them up for this strong run from February 15th through the season. So I think that's a one, you know, angle to kind of, you know, attack that question. Alan,
3: let me, let me jump in on the, on the deload portion of that. <clears throat> Cause you know, we, in Texas, we have a lot of kids that play football right in the fall. Um, and, you know, for them, I think a lot of them look at that as their down period and downtime of throwing. But I I think people when they hear deload or taking time off, I think in in our world where we sit down in the high school level, that can be misunderstood to to be not throwing at all. Um, can you can you shed a little light on that as far as what the deload looks like from a throwing standpoint? And is there ever a period of time where you just in your program where you just flat put the ball down and aren't throwing
2: at all? So it's a great question. Um, I love giving people credit that have taught me things along my path. Um, Randy Sullivan is someone from the Florida baseball armory. I lean on all the time. Um, he's kind of a physical therapist, sort of think Eric Cressy, you know, meets pitching coach and, uh, he's just brilliant. And, He's the first guy that I really got into deloading, And because of him, it got into our throwing manual for the pro side. And I may have touched on it in our urine manual, but think of it this way. This is happening at a chemical level. When the the body trains, you can think about, you know, something as simple as like lifting that everybody can relate to. Um, And I'm not going to do this justice, but there's, there's, um, whether it's tendons, ligaments, whether there's chemical communications that's happening, that's getting the body in shape. When the season's over, the idea is you don't want to shock the system and stop. Um, even in a pro season where they go through, through the World Series in October, they should, and this is straight from Randy, there, there really should be at least a three-week period where you start to um, deload the body, meaning you just start to subtract. And I, and I use the simple analogy in our pro manual, 20% a week. So here's an example let's say the last outing of a pitcher, he threw hundred pitches in a game and a 35 pitch pen, you know, he still should be throwing You know five, six days a week, just subtract 20% of the workload and 20% of the intensity. And then the week two is 40% and then week three is 60%. So over a three week period, you're kind of undoing what you did, but you're doing it softly and progressively. So really deloading is more about a long season and backing off properly. And I think the next most important thing is you talked about rest, Drew. Um, we would say, look, just to be co- sort of um, conservative and, and to not, you know, and to, and to not seem like we're so extreme, you know, we'd say there's nothing wrong with a younger player, especially maybe taking off a month. Um, I always have a caveat with that. If you do nothing else but bans three times a week, just to keep the blood flow in the in the body moving, maybe the integrity of the rotator cuff, you know, with the smaller muscles. Um, I, I'm I have a rubber arm. I threw a ton growing up. David did as well. We both relate to the feeling of the more you throw, the better you feel, and I mean that, you know, obviously in a smart way. The more you throw. Um, so I kind of have a, a tough way of answering that question because I don't really want people shutting down for very long from not doing anything. And I know that might scare some people. Uh, maybe the medical p- people may not love that comment. So I'd say, listen to your arm and your body. But essentially, even if you took that month off, maybe do some light. Even if you took two months off, do band work, do movement, make keep the, body moving, the arm and the body moving. And then the last part I'd say is that now, once you kind of get through that, that phase of rest, The active rest, which I think is something that's also very misunderstood. Shout out to Eric Cressy now, because I got straight from Eric Cressy a long time ago. Now, active rest is something that I think a lot of us don't really understand what that is, meaning, I know I didn't, Uh, it sounds good, it's a cool term, but here's what it really means. It means that before you get into some real active work with a particular part of your body, in this case, throwing, you want to grease the wheel. Right, and you want to do that over a period of time, not not like once or twice. And hey, let's do it. And so, as an example in our pro manual, we go through a, maybe a month, four weeks without throwing, where the band work alone is just ramping up from three days a week to four days a week to five days a week to six days a week. Before throwing with the band work, even though it's very light, that can start to ramp up to maybe a couple of sets. So, long story short, sorry for for the long answer, is that. This active rest period, speaking of high school players and playing a different sport, so maybe they can't do a lot of throwing because they're in football or whatever. The, you know, you mentioned football as an example. They may have a two-month period where they're not able to throw a lot, but man, they could do a lot of active rest with band work. Even if they just throw a ball into a side wall for, for 10 or 15 minutes at 60 feet, just, just grease the wheel, keep the arm moving, You know, start to create a big... Ba- a lot of active rest is creating a really healthy, strong, deep base before you start the activity of throwing. So, anyway, I know that was a lot, but uh, uh, it's a very, very important question.
1: Yeah, I'm going to add one thing to it, and I would just say the base gets you into the buildup much easier and quicker. Um, you're not going from zero to a hundred, and I think that's key. Um, when you listen to Alan and how he presents that, the ability to never really feel like you're completely stagnant. And then you're in a better spot when you start back. And I think that's critical.
2: And and just to say one last thing, because I'm so glad you mentioned that, David, because otherwise you do something that's very dangerous for the arm, which, <clears throat> which is called shocking the arm. And I love that David you know, picked up on that, the idea that it's seamless and we don't want to ever shock the arm we want to have this great base in place. <clears throat> and even though we still want guys to <clears throat> and gals to build up slowly and progressively, uh, the idea is if you build the base right, you're in a position to really thrive on how you, build, how you get into your build-up as well.
1: That shout that phase is also rushed because mm-hmm. now when kids come back, they feel good, they feel active, they're ready to go, and they probably push it and rush it too much. So having that that foundation kind of keeps that gradual movement.
0: Yeah, both of you have mentioned a couple of things that that you know I'm passionate about. Obviously, I don't have uh, the the background of either of you guys, but we do watch a ton of amateur baseball, and I think that I've noticed over the years it seems like we're starting to see guys that are kind of getting away from the natural athleticism, the free flowing, the feel of being on the mound and throwing and are starting to kind of look more rigid and robotic. And it kind of, Alan kind of goes back to something you say. I think sometimes we're seeing these guys that have these supplements, all these different things they can do that can kind of aid in their development. And if you don't quite know what you're doing, you get away from simply just throwing and throwing and, and keep greasing that wheel you start to lose kind of that, that free flowing, that athleticism, that, that natural feel um, you know, how critical is that? And, you know, David, for you, especially cause you know, you're recruiting, you're seeing these freshmen come in, you're seen seeing the, the college guys with their development um, you know, have, have you noticed maybe like that's something that's kind of gone away a little bit is, is, you know, cause to me, there's no better way of, you keep building the feel for for throwing by by throwing, you know, by, by getting out there and throwing and having that natural flea-flowing af- athleticism on the mound.
1: It's two letters, P-O. As soon as they describe themselves or identify themselves as a pitcher only, mm-hmm. many of them get away from their athleticism, their natural movement, their fast twitch. And I think that's the key is incorporating. I mean, what I want to see from a pitcher is freedom. Mm -hmm. Uh, I want to see fast twitch. I want to see natural slots. Uh, I don't want to see a guy go from his long toss to his pull downs to his flat and then go to the pin and looks like a robot. So to maintain that natural movement is kind of the key and what you get out of so much of, you know, the extension of throwing, getting into your long toss. And not only throwing long toss, even our guys, I feel like we still have to educate them on how to throw long toss Mm -hmm. because they literally want to go from the line into 60, 90 feet in a hurry and on the line. And we're trying to just get it long and loose and really let it grow and just really let it extend and fill that. And when they get to that point, the arm's going to open up. It's going to have this freedom. You're going to feel your front side working for you you're going to feel the the mobility in your hips, and then you're really going to get into your legs and try to get out over your front side. And that to me is the beauty of the long toss and in, in creating the arc and really kind of having that baseline of how far that is. And I think Alan's really good at kind of describing that because one guy, your throwing partner may be, you know, 300, 330 feet, and you're still at 270. So you know, kind of understanding your own baseline and then kind of creating from there and and then volume. And I, I'm going to go back to what we, we say a lot is your arm's going to tell you and I can't tell you how many throws you should make. Your arm can tell you and you're the only one that knows and your body feels that. So you have to have an understanding of that but if you're not doing that frequently then you really don't know what it is.
2: And you can say that Throwing, that's awesome, David. It's almost like I'm just going to try to put some icing on top of that cake. Um, Throwing is also an art form, right? And as David just alluded to uh, in several key ways, if you're not going out there to throw, if you don't go out there with the intent, like I'm going out to play catch and throw today and listen to my arm, listen to my body. There's no clock. There's no there's no amount of throws. You know, I love how David said that. You know, one thing I've I've tweeted out there a number of times is, you know, eliminate the clock, eliminate the the, the counting of throws. Um, go out there and listen to the body, listen to the arm. You'd be shocked. Dave and I were joking yesterday about BP pitchers. I have a tweet I put out in the past. You know, who has the most well conditioned arm on the, on the baseball field. And the answer is the BP pitcher. <laughs> and granted, yes, I can hear someone say, well, they're not throwing curveballs and sliders and they're not throwing high intent. Um, regardless, they're making 400 pitches a week, 400 pitches a week, 400 pitches a day in some yeah. cases, but let's yeah. just call it 300 six, seven times a week for 40 years without breaking down. And I think we lose sight of that. I'll tell you another stat. that A lot of people don't, uh, don't, make this connection with, I shouldn't say they don't make this connection. With, I don't know that. I can just tell you a stat that blew me away when I heard it. And I assume that a lot of other people would blow them away is how many throws do catchers make in spring training, right? First of all, they have to do their own throwing program. They're catching countless bullpens because there's a, there's 160 pitchers in camp every day. They're making a ton of throws. And we rarely hear about Tommy John or something like that shoulder reconstruction with catchers. So this goes really, To the heart of what David and I have been talking a lot about previous to this this today is that if you're just not out there throwing and feeling your way through this, that's where I call it the art form. Like this is an art form. If you don't know what it's like to throw with arc and gradually let that ball get out and, and feel the stretching and the range of motion and build some volume, David used the word volume a second ago volume is so critical to this whole process. And then I'll, and I made one other note that I'd like to throw out there. That's another huge deal. You know, there's academies that popped up everywhere and it's wonderful. There's a lot of great coaches at these academies and these kids are training well. But part of the problem with, with that is you're indoors. So you don't have the visual and the spatial of seeing, mm-hmm. a spatial is where we'll go with it. You don't have the spaciousness of seeing the ball maybe in the air right? So the proprioception, the feel, that's a huge deal. And and I feel like these kids might go to these academies where they're working on velocity, which is great. We all want to throw harder, right? But if you go to the academies and you're working on velocity, and I'm not saying all academies do this, but chances are, if I go to an indoor facility, you know, especially in the wintertime, if it's snowing outside, right? I don't know what the chances are of a player who went outside and got to 300 and 330 feet and got fully extended, right condition well prior to their velo test prior to a bullpen and so I think that the academy concept or just being indoors you know in the winter time for most of the country we also lose that connection uh, with that athleticism that feel that range of motion um, that that connection to just throwing and and I think that's also where the arm can get really shocked if you go to these facilities, and again, I, I, I'm just projecting, I haven't been to these facilities and I haven't, I haven't done research on this, but my gut tells me that, you know, kids are going to these facilities and it's very, it's indoors, it's probably very limited space with how much you can throw. And now you're getting after it with, you know, pull downs or running guns or, or and, and, the, and pull downs and running guns are fine at the appropriate time. I just don't know if it's the appropriate time if you're in an indoor facility and you're not first getting that freedom range and motion volume and the connection back to the theme today, just the connection is just throwing, just, just throw, get out and play catch.
3: (laughs) Yeah. Okay. So I I have a two prong question. Um, And part of it's going to be directed at coach Pearson, part of it directed at you, Alan, that both of you can chime in on as well. But, you know, we've, we've gotten through the fall, let's say on this schedule period. And, you know, I think, One of the biggest adjustments for new pitchers coming to college is that at a place like Texas, they've all been a starter. Very few of them have been a reliever before getting on a college campus. Um, And from a schedule standpoint, as far as your protocols, when, if ever does the throwing protocol change for a guy that's pegged as a starter versus a reliever. Um, And then coach to you, you know, I I remember from my time being there with you, one of the things that I thought that you did that always made a lot of sense, and you don't hear people talk about a lot is that when you're recruiting, you're putting together a pitching staff, right? You're not just collecting arms. Um, And, you know, I think that that means different things to different people. But, you know, for the recruiting process, coach, like, You know, what are you looking for to determine, you know, when do you make that determination that a guy is likely a reliever or likely a starter? And then from the scheduling standpoint, when do you start to do different things with the pitchers heading into a season?
1: You want to go first and answer the front end of that first, Alan? Dave, you take it and then I'll piggyback. Okay. So, uh, it's a good question, Drew, and it's it's always a challenge, but in the fall we're pretty much on the same schedule because we don't have um, many guys extend past probably 50 pitches, and, so, and that's in competition. And so we're in two groups. So we'll go a Monday, Saturday group – excuse me, Monday, Friday. Those are their bullpen days with a heavy day in between and two light days and then a day off afterwards – um, and that's pretty consistent for both starters and relievers. What we'll also do is continue that pattern once we start competition. And so if we're in our 300 feet throws or our long toss, and we're already in the stage of pull downs into our flat grounds, that volume may be cut down just a hair. So we'll go to the bullpen, get our touch and feel off the slope, and then go directly to competition. Um, it's pretty consistent with with most of our guys because of uh, the minimal amount of innings. And we try to give everybody pretty consistent timing of when they're going to pitch. So it's, a, it's much easier, honestly, in the fall than it is the spring. Uh, but we do have some guys that we know are potential three-inning guys to one to two-inning guys. And so we're a little more frequent uh, with their outings. And that's usually a little bit towards the back end of the fall. So there becomes the challenge of how much volume do we do, how much long toss do we do to make sure that they're maxing. The one thing I think, and Alan and I talked a lot about this as well, is too many times a player has a bullpen that day, or he's competing that day. So all of a sudden he's not working through the entire process. So they go very little run conditioning, very uh, little band condition, or maybe heavy there, but then don't get to their full length and their full extension. You can still do that, but just maybe cut down your volume, cut down your pull down volumes consistently. And I think that again, goes back to, you know, kind of what is the goal of that day and kind of knowing that. Um, So in the fall, it's easier. In the spring, it gets a little more challenging. But it but we ga- gain so much information from the fall to start identifying guys so we can put them on a different program in, in the spring. And it's you know it, it the consistency, the frequency is is what's different. Um and just trying to make sure that they're in a good spot when the spring starts and and they're called upon.
2: Yeah, and what I'll do is cause David just nailed it i'll take the spring um because as he said the buildup is identical believe it or not i mean give or take uh, it's just you're getting the arm in the most optimal shape of its life so that to me is very very consistent um you know obviously the bullpens into the live that's shorter for a bull not that the bullpens are shorter well maybe they are but the the buildup for the live of course is much shorter for a relief pitcher but this spring, and I actually wrote a little article with Adam Rebelette in Inside Pitch Magazine on this topic because I've been very, very frustrated more in pro ball because they play every day and they get much faster in the mentality that David mentioned about how challenging it is of, like, saving their arm for the game. That's sort of the mentality because they, they're there every day. And so they're in a little different situation in college, even if you – Pitch twice on the weekend as a reliever. You still have Monday, Tuesday. Sorry, you still have Monday. Well, Tuesday, technically, if you don't pitch on Tuesday. But you kind of have three or four days in college to kind of restore and rebuild. And and you can still have the luxury of getting a lot of throwing and long toss in um, as a reliever. But I still want to attack this one principle, even though it's really more in pro ball, but it still applies in college and high school, which is this. David hit it on it earlier. The mentality is to save the arm for the game. And you said something earlier, which is super important. They maybe do less with their bands, or even if they do a good job with bands and arm care, they definitely will tend to do less with their throwing. And I would say this, if you're a 300 foot guy, as a simple analogy or a gal, I always like to make sure we talk about gals too. Um, the bottom line is this, um, You've been built all fall. So I'm gonna use just Texas right now as an example with David. These relief pitchers, February 15th, when the season starts, they're gonna be in beast mode, because I know David and I know what he's he's doing with these kids. So now all of a sudden, let's say game one is February 15th and let's say a reliever go in there and throw 23 pitches. Well, based on his base and his foundation and his throwing acumen, okay? (laughs) His recovery the next day is going to be a joke. He's going to feel like he probably didn't throw, like a BP pitcher almost. Now, let's just assume he, there, it's a Friday, so maybe he might pitch again the next day. Okay, so we can't maybe go to 300 and pull down, but, but maybe because he feels to so go the next day, he can still go to 240 and stretch it out, get some air under the ball, and maybe not do any pull downs, and we, we call that open the door, but don't close it and then just keep the arm nice and warm through the rest of the game until you may go in with some light throwing or maybe some bands. But here's the point. He's out to 240, and if he doesn't go on that game on Saturday, then guess what? Now on Sunday, he's closer to maybe 300 feet again. He doesn't have to, right? He might even pull down a little bit because he knows Monday is a day off. So that mentality in college changes dramatically, where all of a sudden these guys can get some pretty good distances in pretty good volume in, even the day of a game, even back-to-back games. And as David said, it just saddens me so much that this this mentality is more, once the spring starts, all of a sudden it's like everybody's, I don't wanna say everybody, but let's just say the general rule feels like that we're gonna now start to go, we're gonna go to 90 to 120, which happens a lot in pro ball before the game, get loose and then save our arm for the game. And it's just the opposite. Lance Wheeler had a, such, such a great line I picked up years ago, which is, are we worried about hurting ourselves versus are we preparing and conditioning and training ourselves, right? I mean, that's something you have to look at. Are we, are we preparing and training and developing? Are we worried about hurting ourselves? And it doesn't mean you can't be mindful of, like, maybe there is a time to only go out to 90 to 120. Maybe you threw 40 pitches on Friday and then or, – or 20 pitches on Friday, and then you were – it got extended a little bit on Saturday. You know, so maybe on Sunday, you only go out to 120 feet. Here's the irony. I still think at 120 feet, you might throw it for 15 to 20 minutes, not four. You're definitely not going to 60 feet for five minutes and shutting it down. And I think this is the the back to the theme of today. I just feel like the more, you know, I, something Dave and I talked about last night, the more you just live in this world of throwing in a smart way and listening to the body and conditioning and and you don't have to always throw with high intent. You can do a lot of throwing with low intent. I call them massage throws. You might you can do a massage throw up to 250 feet. You can do massage throwing at 120 feet. For Dave and I can go out right now and probably do a 120 foot massage throws for an hour. And we will both and I haven't thrown in months. And and I can pretty I do a lot of bands for the tennis. And I can almost assure you that tomorrow, if I have any soreness, it's going to be a good sore. It's going to feel good. Okay, so. I think that we have to get back to this idea of the body is resilient and and especially if you do it right and build this thing up progressively and listen to the body, our body, let's go back to the 400 pitches a day, six to seven days a week of a BP pitcher for 40 years and not breaking down catchers, not having very many Tommy Johns. I mean, I think we have to, we have to be smart about it. I'm not saying, you know, just go out there and with reckless abandon, but I just think that we've erred on the side of being too conservative. And, um, I just feel like that, that this, this topic today is so cool because man, we need this infusion of this awareness again.
1: Well yeah, said. Alan, you,
0: uh, Alan, you mentioned something I really, really like is, you know, are we preparing to throw and to go out and, and, and keep throwing or are we kind of holding back in, in, in fear of, of getting hurt for some reason? And, you know, beyond, I think the obvious is is the importance of really listening to your arm and listening to your body. I mean, only you know, as you guys have both said, only you know how the arm feels, how your body feels, and, and what kind of limits and what kind of throwing you can do. Um, what would you say are those other critical components for arm care? Because I think, like you kind of alluded to, didn't say directly, I think too often people associate, you know, maybe throwing with not taking care of your arm and it doesn't really kind of make sense. like why would you just shut down and and and, and not move and not keep that arm going and if you're aiming to take care of it so what would, what would you two say are the kind of the critical components of arm care? And also too, you know rehab is is unfortunately a part of of the throwing and pitching process sometimes like um you know how important is it to kind of stay on on the right schedule with rehab and and to go through that? Um, the right way as you build that arm and that body back into shape uh, to where it once was?
1: I'll start with, I think we want to work towards prehab before rehab. Mm-hmm. And the more that we can prepare the body and condition the body, I feel like we're going to have less injuries. Um, I'm going to move also to a little bit of mechanics. You know, that's that's a big term with pitching. You know, They're mechanics. And I think the more that I can feel my body when I'm in long toss and understand what my front side does, how my lower half works with it is my arm on time. And we talk a lot about in all phases of our game, we work easy. We want to be closed and we want to be on time. So when I throw long toss, I'm really working easy because I want to feel my arm nice and loose. So to me, that's part of the, Uh, the arm care and the work itself. Um, If I'm staying closed, I'm probably being in, a. have got good alignment. So it's probably cleaning up a lot of my mechanics without a lot of force from my front side. And, and, you know, we talk about backside hitting, backside pitching, really getting into your legs and and filling that and then getting extension out over your front side. And so for me, if we're doing those phases correctly, um, our arm care becomes a part of it, just like, and we've talked about this, Alan and I have talked about this, you know, the bullpen is literally the back end of my conditioning of my day. I'm not preparing for a bullpen. I'm working in my in my load to get to the final part, which is the bullpen. It's a part of it. So, I think we need to just be cognitive of the entire process uh, and then go, going back to just listening, listening. If I'm banged up that day, I'm going to back off a little bit. I think it's important that we stretch and we, you know, when we get the capsule back in place and, you know, days that we have inflammation, then we have to address that. But um, I think it's much more about full body care. We have a tremendous strength coach and it's not about, Uh, getting huge and and being big and massive, it's much more about functional strength. And then it becomes not only from position player to pitcher, but relief pitcher versus starting pitcher. And so all that's kind of calculated and how we do it. But I think at the end of the day, it's up to the player, and it's up to the player to be consistent with his throwing and with his conditioning to minimize the injuries. Um, And we're all going to get banged up. Then you got to listen.
2: Yeah, I love it, David. I'm going to pick off, pick up from the full body. And then I'm going to talk about, because I love how he brought this into a holistic concept of of arm care, as opposed to we always think about arm care as pre. And I love how David brought this into this, that arm care has a lot to do with the, the throwing session itself, right? Or in the mechanical part of it. I'd, I'd actually say also um, tapping into your athleticism the throwing piece as well is a huge part of the, of the arm care. But I want to first tackle that pre-throwing, I think is sort of a given. Um, there's a lot of things out there. You know, we specialize in arm and band work. I have a, a, a yoga background. I, did, I started doing yoga in the 90s. I taught yoga for 15, 18 years privately to, to players. So when you talk about body, when David talks about the body, Trust me, we're all in uh, on the body. So I think that's number one. We need to talk about the body and not only the arm, of course. Um, But I want to pick up on another piece because I think that the the, the pre-throwing is sort of a given. I want to talk about recovery as as part of the the arm care aspect. And now I'm going to come back to throwing again. (laughs) In my experience, the more throwing you do from a volume point of view, and let's call it more of a lower intent, but just a conditioning day and it could part, and that could also include some pull downs if it's a pull down day or a lot of pull downs, but the better condition you are, well, then the better you recover and then the better you recover, then the better chance you're in a position to have another good volume day. Now, again, everything's, you have to be aware, as David said, right? There's, there's days where maybe you can't do as much as you want, but it's sort of like throwing begets throwing begets throwing begets throwing. And I feel like the better you, well, for sure, the better you recover, you get into what we call a positive cycle. <clears throat> and all of a sudden, because you recover well, you can then have an opportunity to have a great work day in again, as opposed to you don't cover so well. And now you're not going to do as much and you're not going to throw as much. And now you're putting yourself into what we call potentially a negative cycle. And also, this thing—that's what happens to relief pitchers, by the way, in professional baseball—is they get—they're the extreme, in in, in our opinion, uh, my opinion of this um, starting to happen. Because what happens is, is that they don't do a lot, generally speaking. Then they go out and max effort it three or four hours later. The recovery, in our opinion, is not going to be—my opinion is not going to be that good. Then they're not going to throw for sure as much, and they're they are, they're already not throwing very much. <laughs> And now all of a sudden it just starts shrinking, shrinking. Then they're a little sore, maybe a little tighter. Maybe they're using more effort at night. And all of a sudden they're in what we call a negative cycle. And I feel like with David and I, again, to keep coming back to this theme is we're talking about, we want to get in a positive cycle, like a BP pitcher. We want to be able to, you talk about arm care. You want to have great arm care. We'll obviously do your pre-stuff, of course. Um, Tune into your body and your mechanics. Listen to your body. Get in a get in a great long toss if possible on that day, or at least get in a lot of volume. But because you recover well is a massive piece to arm care.
1: Yeah. What, guys, to talk? what do guys do the day after a start? So many times they don't want to do much. And it's the most critical day for their next start. And it starts with you know a good sweat. I gotta get my body hot. Then I do my bands, my arm circles. And then I do my light toss, whatever that is. Maybe it's a little more. And I think the massage throwing is critical more so than, than you know, letting it eat. I think it's much more about getting extension, filling the looseness and uh, starting that recovery for the next day, the next start. Yeah, Coach,
3: you, you beat me to the punch on that because my next question is going to be, you know, we talked about there is an adjustment going from, high school to college but one of the things that tends to be pretty similar is that the starting pitchers are on a seven-day cycle and for you what does that look like for a texas pitcher a starter you know what does their seven-day cycle look like as far as which days do they lift throw bullpen stuff like that and then you know for for either one of you too like How much does that vary? Because a lot of the high school kids that are the better pitchers, a lot of them do play a position and there's volume throwing uh, potentially throughout the week for them, whether it be in a game or practice or whatever it may be. You know, can you can you both touch a little bit upon that, like what that seven day cycle looks like? And then what, if anything, is different for a two way guy?
1: Let me start with the seven day, Alan, and you can pick up from there if that works. Um, For me, a Friday night starter, when he gets the ball, I want him to have a mentality that it's his game and he's going the distance. Um, So it all starts, first of all, of how he approaches that game. What's his mindset? um, Has he done his prep mentally as well as physically? Is he ready to compete? Once he goes out and, I mean, he empties the tank. That's what we want. It may be four stressful innings. It may be seven pretty clean innings, and you know he may have a shot to extend it. But I want that kid to feel that that confidence and 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 knowing that he's prepared for that. And that goes where that that's from his work. Uh, on Saturday, his job is to get up and get a good conditioning in. I'd like to see the body warm and hot and sweaty before we start doing anything else. Uh, as soon as we get that going, uh, then we'll move into uh, our, our arm care. Uh, if it's bands, if it's our the combination of bands and arm circles. And some of the things we talk about is so simple, like simple arm circles, a lot of people tend to think that that's not enough. But what we're trying to do is get circulation, get movement and then get into our bandwagon for stretch, for having the ability to next put a ball in our hand. And then I want to play catch. Um, If I have good, normal soreness, then I'm going to probably get some length. Uh, Maybe it's 150, like Alan was saying earlier, maybe it's 150 for 15 minutes, but your arm's going to let you know that. Your body's going to let you know that. Um, And it's going to be loose and long, and then not a lot of uh, pull down action day 2 now we're starting to move into extension uh for me it would be that sunday we're going to start working towards our long toss again um monday we're going to cut back to the 180 probably no pull downs um tuesday uh you're challenging me now drew um monday um you know it's a it's a shorter day it's a flat ground it's a lot of fill. I want to fill my pitches. Um, and then Tuesday, again, based on how my body feels at this point, I want to get it, I want to get length again. Wednesday, I'm going to be short for me. Thursday is going to be touch and fill, and I'm going to be as fresh as I can and ready to go on Friday. That's in a nutshell. Strength and conditioning around that. Uh, usually, after all my workload on Friday, uh, Saturday, uh, it's also a pretty heavy lift be my heavier lift day for my core my legs uh, my back uh, my maintenance and then my second lift of the week is going to be lighter that's in season seven days in a nutshell
2: so our seven days very similar to david's um basically i'll use the friday analogy too since david gave me the the visual of the days to make it easier now um so Friday for us, I love what David said earlier about the bullpen, so to speak, is the finishing touch of the day. Uh, I look at the game very similarly, even though I know it's a long, a, a longer outing than a bullpen, but I don't want guys to miss on um, the value again of their pregame. So they'll do their arm care as usual. Um, but the only difference we make is we still want our guys out to max distance pre-game on on the day of their start. Um, So we'll take 300 feet as an example. Um, We've backed off having them pull down a lot from 300 feet, let's say into 120. They can still get, start getting on top of the ball. Um, But maybe from 120 is when we start having them throw more with their pulling down, pull down, so to speak. Um, So day one is a normal long toss day minus maybe uh, the workload on the pull downs till the very end. Day two, and I can do this pretty quickly. Day two, um, as David said, perfect analogy. Look, did the guy throw 112 pitches that weren't very stressful? Did he throw 64 pitches that were very stressful? Um, somewhere in the middle, uh, maybe they didn't, uh, maybe got rained out and you threw 40 pitches. So the next day, we don't know. But let's just say pretty good workload. I'm going to say the same thing, Any, anywhere from uh, 90 feet to, to 200 feet the next day. Um, all what we call massage throws, all with a lot of arc, a lot of looseness and feel, as David said, Um, no pulling down, no linear throwing. In fact, no linear throwing the first three days for us. Day two, Uh, again, based on what happened on the start, David, we'll just say day two is probably gonna be somewhere between 220 and 300 feet. They're gonna be pushing back to the normal long toss distance, give or take. No pull downs, we only want, again, range of motion, circulation, as David said, volume building, um, and nothing really linear. It doesn't mean a guy can't come in and start feeling a little frisky. You know, they might start feeling pretty good if they only threw 60 pitches. But we're trying to set up day three and four, which is setting up day seven again. Now, day three is an interesting day. It depends on how heavy the start day was, but day three is now we're into a full long toss, full pull-down day. Now, uh, if the, the pitcher had a very intense start day, I'd probably push that day to day four. But either way, what we're really trying to do, believe it or not, is we're really trying to set up a really good bullpen for day four, um, and then have two days between day four and the start day to sort of deload a little bit, right? Keep the arm fresh and then set up day seven, which is technically day eight for the start. So full long toss and start day, 90 to 200 or so on, on day one afterward, uh, 220 to 300 on day two. I'd say day three is, is sort of a real, a normal pull down day and long toss day. That might be a pen day, a light pen day for somebody. Um, in a perfect world, I kind of want to use day three to set up day four. Day four is what we call our beast mode day. That's where we're going full long toss, full pull down and pen. And now you have two full days to sort of recover from that pen and prepare the arm the way you need to. And as David said, so the, the day five for us might be after a pen, you know, might be, uh, you know, 200, 220, just stretching. And then the day before is, like David said, is more just sort of 90 to 180, you know, stretch it out, you know, get some throwing in. And then the start day is back to to where we were.
1: Yeah, and there's certain guys that may need two bullpens a, day, uh, a week, you know, just because that. We talk a lot about care. We talk a lot about arm strength, body conditioning. I think the more that you throw, the more you build command. And that's missing in our game right now. And so, you know, if I'm throwing frequently and I'm throwing to targets and I've got to focus, I can only get better with my command. And and that's critical. A lot of times we'll go to a second bullpen because a guy's not commanding it. But if you look back at his work, you know, is he focusing on command as well as uh, strength and conditioning?
2: And I'll just throw one other quick thing on top of that, which is. Here's the irony. The more throwing you do, as David said, right, the better feel you're going to tend to get. I actually find from guys doing a lot of throwing during the week and a lot of it includes long toss that they're building that proprioception they're building the field they're also mm-hmm. building the connection with their body because when you throw the ball at 10 20 30 degrees all these different increments as you go out and then all these different different increments as you come in you're building a very strong intuitive connection to your body and your release point so i would actually say that again guys can go on the mound and even at 50 percent and get used to the slope But I would also say that the beauty of this topic today is that you can build incredible command and feel and accuracy from the long toss and the throwing itself. Um, Bullpens, we all know, are important. It's great. It's important to get on the slope. But I think part of the theme today is that this idea that it's unbelievable how much feel and accuracy you can build from just throwing.
0: (laughs) Yeah, you know, think of what we hear now with. You know, finger pressure and grips and spins and and slots and I mean, just getting out and long tossing and just feeling the ball in your fingers and the different effort points and the I mean, I, I got to think there probably can't be a better way to to work on those things, um, guys. We've we've kept you long enough, but before we get out of here, is there? is there one thing that's maybe a, a misconception about, you know, just throwing all the time and, in, in arm care or, or, or something like that, that he feel, you know, kind of, kind of bugs you and, and you want to talk about before we get out of here, or, or maybe one more point that maybe we didn't touch on enough that you really want listeners to, to take home with them. You know, Drew and I, we do a lot of these podcasts. We have a lot of listeners that are going to be high school players, high school parents, some college as well, and, and, and things like that. But, um, you know, maybe something that's kind of critical for those guys that might be in, in their prep development as they're trying to learn of, you know, the balance of building arm strength and stuff and performance, but also, um, you know, taking care of the arm and, and how to develop that feel and keep that athleticism and things like that.
1: Dave, you can take it. Go ahead. You started out.
2: <laughs> I was punting to you. Uh, <laughs> I would say this. Whenever this comes up and it's a really – Cool question, Dustin. A um, couple things always come to mind. One is, is to be super mindful of what you're doing during the summer uh, and even really the fall. And by that, what I mean is we're talking about throwing right now, right? That's the topic today. We're talking about training. We're talking about development. We're talking about feel. We're talking about athleticism. Let's remember that that's the base and foundation to us. And so it's, we all want to go out and play and pitching games and we need to, and it helps us get better and we have to work on stuff. But I think to your question, which is a great question, I think that what it's done is it's sort of maybe skewed us to the point of where we're competing a lot and we're playing a lot. And I remember my first six fold, this is pre-internet, our first six fold brochure for the first camps we ever did in the early nineties. Um, it was a six or I camped in eight weeks in the summer, just training, conditioning, um, and and a lot of mental stuff. And uh, I remember one of the flaps. It said, "What are you doing this summer?" Basically, playing or training. And it was a, and I wrote a little paragraph on the value because the best piano players in the world, the best guitarists in the world, right, the best dancers in the world, you know, they're practicing six eight hours a day whatever the number is, right? They're training, they're training, they're training, they're training, they're training. Now, again, I don't wanna make this seem like we can't go out and play, but I think if I were to leave the listeners with one reminder, train and develop and play. By the way, training is playing. Long toss and throwing is fun. Coming in from a good long toss session and throwing 25 change-ups or 30 because your arm feels so great is fun. That's working on your craft too. And I just feel like that we've gotten too much into the playing world and the games world and the tournaments world. There's a time and a place for it. But I just, I would want everybody to, I would leave everybody with this idea of train, train, train. And lastly is to listen to your arm and body and to know that playing catch a couple of times a week and then going out and pitching is dangerous. You have to to condition the base. You have to do a lot of throwing in a smart way and not shock the arm. So those, I guess, would be my two uh, final points.
1: Yeah, That's a lot to follow. (laughs) I will say this, uh, throw in your foundation, and I'm just going to harp and say the same thing that Alan's saying, but, you know, I think kids nowadays, high school, college kids are chasing velocity, and I think train for your velocity. And Mm. if you're training correctly, your body's going to work correctly through maturation. You're going to get to your peak. And I think we get in a hurry. And we think that we have to. And that's coming from a Division I Power 5 coach that has to recruit the best kids in the country. But at the same time, natural movement, athleticism, natural slots, uh, and not really chasing it, but training for it. And understanding that a lot of this information out there has programmed us. And so we spend a lot of time deprogramming. Not mm-hmm. to say that, and again, I'll go back to not to say that it's bad, good, and different. My point is, if we build off of the foundation, the other ones, and I'm going to use Alan's word, are supplements for it. But we have to throw
0: Very well said. And uh, guys, again, thank you so much for for taking time out of your schedules to talk about this. The crazy thing is we've, we've cruised through a lengthy podcast and we haven't even talked about the mental side of throwing, which I know both you guys are extremely, extremely passionate about. So we might have to tackle that one um, on another podcast, but um, Alan, if if anybody wants to get, you know, your resources, your information, I'm assuming jagersports.com is the best way for them to get hooked up with all that. We mentioned the year-round throwing manual, which I gotta think is kind of regarded as like a like a Bible for some people just because of the way it explains and it lays out the calendar and, and, and you know throwing and and how to throw properly, how to, you know, when to do this, when to do that, what stage you are in your, your development you're throwing. Um, you can get all that in the year-round throwing manual and go to jaggersports.com for all the great resources there. Um, follow you on Twitter at jaggersports. As well, um, David. Anything you want to plug um, before we get out of here? Um, I know Dustin,
3: you're forgetting our NIL question.
0: Oh, I forgot. Drew. Yeah, Drew, you're, this is this is your wheelhouse. This is, is one this of our, favorite questions. No, one of our is, favorite questions. This is one of our favorite questions to ask our guests.
3: This is something we ask all the coaches because it's a tell us about your personality and you know, coach. I know you have experience with NIL, but we didn't get to play in the NIL era, which I know means that you didn't get to play in the NIL era, (laughs) you know, for both of you, like if you were a college player right now, playing at university of Texas or wherever it is that you want to play, what kind of NIL deals would you be out there looking for?
2: Cash. (laughs) (laughs) However I get it. (laughs) Um, I've always been someone that I'm pretty simple. I, I like, you know, nice gear and, you know, a nice pullover. And nowadays, because I play tennis, actually, I ask for sh- from coaches, like if they, they want to send a hat out or something, I'm like, do you have shorts with – Coach, David, do you have
1: shorts with pockets in them? Because for Yes. Tennis, I need yes. pockets. Oh, that's ball. good. So I would probably just be more well, – Well, then with- I will go here then. I would say unlimited golf balls. No. Because I use okay. a lot of them. I was gonna say, is that because you're
0: swing or because you play so much?
1: <laughs> much more about my swing than uh, my my frequency.
0: Uh, and, and to be fair to you, golf balls are pretty expensive. If you're playing with with some good golf balls to try to help out with with the spin and everything like that, so that that's that's good. Well, Usually, Drew and I always end up food related for for some reason. So yeah, um, we both are foodies. Leave leave it to you two to have the actual movement activity element of this, (laughs) of this NIL discussion, Uh, you know, tennis and and some golf balls. Those are good ones. Uh, Original picks uh, for the five tool podcast from our guests, but uh, Alan and David, again, thank you so much for jumping on board. We really appreciate it. I learned a ton from this. Obviously my playing days are long, long gone, but um, I learned a lot. I, I know that listeners learned a lot. Um, and again, you get to jaggersports.com and and read about Allen and find all those resources. And obviously, you know where to find uh, Coach David Pierce uh, over at DishFlock Field and, and on Twitter and so forth. So uh, for Allen and David and Drew, I'm Dustin McComas. Thanks for tuning into the 5Tool Podcast. Until we talk to you all next time, take care.